Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Knicks podcast today. I'm joined by the Locked On Sixers crew of Keith Pompey and Devon Givens to preview the team's Christmas Day matchup and tell you why it's one of the most important games of each team's season right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online now has you covered more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, and that includes, you guessed it, drumroll, please. We'll put that in and post on YouTube. So go check us out on YouTube. Throw us a subscription, a like, a comment, all that good stuff. But who's talking to you? I am Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Typically, I'd be joined by Alex Wolf, but instead, I got the fantastic Locked On Sixers crew, Keith Pompey. Devon Givens uh, to preview the team's Christmas Day game and also just to to get a little bit of uh, insight onto the Sixers season. One of the Knicks most intriguing opponents in the Eastern Conference is one spot away in the in the overall standings. Um, So certainly a team come playoff time. Knicks fans will want to know more about what's the latest on Joel Embiid. How has he had uh, the most dominant scoring season in the NBA this year? Why does he have a career high in assists? Would he potentially be looking for a trade this offseason if things don't go well in Philly? Um, how much trouble will the Knicks have with James Harden? Is Doc Rivers on the hot seat? Um, so we talked Sixers for about the first 20 minutes or so before pivoting and getting into everything Knicks. So all that right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, it's the crossover event of the century to preview their Christmas Day matchup between the Knicks and the Philadelphia 76ers. Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Devon Givens of 975, the Fanatic, the Sixers pre- and post-game host on there. Thank you guys so much for joining me, Devon. We, we had a great crossover preseason. Keith, happy to have you along for the ride this time around. Uh, let's let's start here. How are things going in Philadelphia? I, I I say this not to not to make fun, just to just to state the facts. Only a game ahead of the New York Knicks, um, about a third through the season. Um, but maybe that's more of a compliment to the Knicks than it is an insult to a Sixers team that's dealt with a whole lot of injuries. A healthy James Harden. Uh, Keith, I'll, I'll start with you. Where where are you at overall on the Sixers right now? You know, right now the Sixers have made, in my opinion, some drastic improvements. Um, I, I feel like they're playing quality ball right now. Um, their pace of play is better. Um, James Harden and Joel Embiid seems to be a, a, a better pairing than they were in the season. And they and they seem to be providing depth. The one thing, though, with the 76ers is with this game in, um, in New York is that we're going to find out if their improvements were uh, actual great improvements or were they the result of them playing an, an, an inferior opponents? So I, I think that, you know, the team has improved, but we're going to find out how much better this team is since the beginning of the season. 
Devon, preseason, uh, when you came on, we, we talked about championship expectations. They were a common pick amongst the uh, prognosticators to to win the title or at the very least get out of the Eastern Conference. Do you think those expectations are still realistic? Realistic? As of today, it doesn't really appear to be, but they should, of course, be on the forefront of 76ers fans' minds because that's how this team was put together, and we don't know what happens by the trade deadline or even – with the veteran buyout market, uh, but with the slow start that they've gotten off to and seeing how Boston has improved a year later. The same thing with Milwaukee still being Milwaukee, and even with Cleveland stepping up and maybe taking a, a bigger a leap than many people expected in year one with Donovan Mitchell joining that group. Right now, it's, it's a lot tougher than maybe we would have thought as we talked about, Gavin, as you mentioned in the preseason. Uh, but they have not been healthy and a lot of teams can make that claim, but we know that when you lose three fifths of your starters, you still want to figure out who you are. And as Keith mentioned, there's still some things that need to be done. And once Tyrese Maxey does in fact come back, we get a better chance to look at them, see if they are really Gavin again, that championship contending team right now, they're still talked about like that just because of the fact that that's where we were in the beginning of the year, but we know we have to make some adjustments as the season gets underway. And right now, they're probably on that second tier at this moment. Yeah, Keith, you, you were talking about how Harden and Embiid are blending together. What, what did you see early season from those two, plus Maxi when all three guys were on the court together? I mean, it, it's still just, I, I think it's only been about 50 total games, if that, that all three have played together. Um, do you think there's still chemistry to be built there? Do they kind of know the pecking order or is, is that still a little awkward and they're still kind of figuring out where everyone fits into that? No, I, I kind of think the pecking order right at this particular time has um, has is known. I mean, I, I think everyone knows that Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. I mean, he's leading the league in scoring. He's arguably the most dominant big man in the league right now. I shouldn't say arguably he is, you know, when it comes down to offensive performance. I think that, but once you get all three of these guys back on the floor together, it has to be um, a rhythm type of thing. I, I think that, you know, Maxi, the thing is with him is he has to know when to take over games. I mean, that's something that the 76ers want him to do. And they've only played six games together as starters and he's missed 15. So they have to get that rhythm back together. But, you know, right now, when you look at it, you say to yourself that, you know, Joel Embiid is the number one option. You know, Tyrese Maxey has to be the guy when they get out there in space and in transition, you have to give the ball up to him. And then you look at a guy like um, um, James um, James Harden, and right now he has to be more of a facilitator than the isolation guy that he was in, in the Houston Rockets and for the Brooklyn Nets a little bit. So right now those roles are established. They just have to get out there and play and get get reps with that yeah devon how, how has harden looked to you since coming back from injury it it, it seems I, I i can't say i've watched a ton of philly but from what i've seen it seems like he's getting his offense in different ways like more content to be a little bit more of a mid-range threat to post up occasionally and after looking like i i think i mean this was this is a big theme when you came on uh preseason like i, I think it was probably kind of scary to philly fans how bad he looked last year it seems like he's despite that injury kind of finding his stride in his first game back against Houston, it wasn't uh, wasn't something that you really write home about and, mm. and get too excited about. But that's to be expected, of course, with the rust, 
that was an overtime game that they went to with Houston. They lost that one. But since then, uh, I've really liked what I've seen from him, not forcing as many shots. And he's playing with a, a good pace as a point guard, helping the team out and pushing in transition, as Keith mentioned in the first question, talking about their pace. A lot of that is because of him and, and being able to get that ball on, on that defensive rebound and just really go up the middle of the floor and really allow that transition stuff to happen. And in the half court, yeah, he's still unable to have that same type of burst and that lift that we've seen from the MVP, James Harden, in the past. But he's starting to be a little more creative and mix in those mid-range jump shots that Keith and I would talk about a lot of making that adjustment as an older player where it's not the same as it used to be. So I would say the games that he has played in since he's returned have been pretty good. And we've seen him pile up the assist numbers. He's had 16, 15, he had 31, 16 and 15 back-to-back, -back, 31 in those two games. He's had his nine, his eight. He still does that, uh, hitting some of those catch-and-shoot threes instead of having to dribble all the time to take those shots. We've seen him do those things. So there has been an adjustment, and I, I think that's a positive sign for them going forward and, and for himself also. Yeah, I, I guess, Keith, that being said, I mean, you, you described Joel Embiid as the most dominant big in the NBA. What, what What is different about his game this year? Because I know it was a little bit of a slow start, and then, and then all three of us were in Philly for uh, that breakout performance against the Utah Jazz, arguably the, the single best game any NBA player has had this season. And, I mean, just, just looking at the stats and what, what jumps out to me is a, a career high in assists as well, 4.7 this year. Is, is, that, is that where you're noticing that he's really made a leap as a passer? Yeah, I, I would say that. Now, he still turns the ball over a lot, a lot. Like, you know, too many, he has too many yeah. turnovers, right? I mean, that's the one thing. But, but, but I will say that his passing, and, and, and I think that has a lot to do with he has more shooters around him. Wouldn't you agree, D? And, and, and I think yeah. so that he's getting these assists. But, you know, it just seems like right about now that um, in the past with Joel, it seemed like he always wanted to take over the game in the first quarter. Like he always had to. And then it got to a point in the fourth quarter, he was gassed. He didn't have anything. I feel like right now there's more patience. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, distributing the rock, you know, uh, kind of getting the feel of the game. And then he's picking his spots to when it's time to, um, to take over the games, but he's still, you know, turning the ball over too much, like I said, but at the same time, he does have more shooters around him and 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 he's getting more assists because of that. Devon, where are you at on Embiid so far? Yeah, I think he's been phenomenal. As Keith talked about, 33 points to lead the NBA. Uh, he's still that dominant player. The face-up game is still there. And that I think that's even more lethal the way that he scores there because right there from that extended free throw line area, the elbow, where he has everybody backing up because they're afraid of, you know, he gives the jab step and 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 they bite on it and he just creates the space uh, of his jump shot. He'll take that one dribble and then pull up while they're backing up. Again, a layup for him at this point of his career with what he has done. That's become his patented shot and he, he can dominate on the low block, sure. And he has done that where he's gotten the opposing defenses and their front line in foul trouble very, very early. So he's been really good and the passing has improved and Keith is right about the shooting around and that was part of the goal in the offseason is to add more shooting around Joel Embiid with the addition of Daniel House didn't really know that DeAnthony Melton would be able to shoot it at the clip that he is and the same for Tobias Harris but those things help him out when he is willing he's a willing passer to find those guys that are around surrounding the three-point line 
and even the cutters also. Matisse Thibault in the, uh, underneath in the dunker spot, cutting along the baseline, making himself available. P.J. Tucker there in the middle from time to time. He has been tremendous. And defensively, he hasn't lost a lot there. Sometimes he seems a little lazy on the defensive end, but for the most part, he is still that force down there that you have to worry about when you're trying to go to the painted area. All right, I, I want to learn a little bit more about the Sixers' supporting cast. But first, did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right, driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, even your parents can tell, everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI paid for by NHTSA. And we wanted to remind you guys and thank you for making Locked On Knicks or Locked On Sixers your first listen every single day. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports today for your second listen, the biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Lockdown's take of the day. Lockdown Sports Today available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure the opening topic following Christmas Day will be Nick Sixers, uh, two, two, of the, two of the great franchises in the NBA. And I know a lot of the Sixers' faith this year rests on their supporting cast. And, and Keith, coming into this season the perception was Philly had finally given Joel and beat everything he needed to go win a title, right? Second star in James Harden, uh, budding uh, potential all-star as soon as this year in Tyrese Maxey. But I, I think the, the the big thing and something, uh, Devon, I know I know you talked about a lot when, when you came on the pod, uh, was the idea that they finally had enough depth. DeAnthony Melton, P.J. Tucker, how has that played out? Has that depth played up to expectations or, or are they still looking for another piece potentially at the trade deadline? You know, I, I still think that they probably need another piece at the trade deadline. Um, you know, right now in the backup center position, um, you know, the guys are playing well, but I also think that they need to add. I mean, they do have an open roster spot. Hmm. So I'm not saying that it's one of those things where you need to trade one of your backup bigs. But what I'm saying is you need to add someone else because they are playing pretty well. I like the way Montrez Harrell is playing. And I, and I think that Paul Reed has a, a bright future. He's a good rim protector. But I think that in the playoffs, you're going to also need the option to have a bigger center who can help out, somebody who can bang when the game slows down and things like that. So to me, that right there is something that the 76ers should look into. But I will tell you this, like, you know, right now, I think when we talk about depth and we talk about role players, the one guy that you talked about who really stands out to me is DeAnthony Melton. I mean, DeAnthony Melton has been playing extremely well. Right now, he's a guy who who basically has been the starter. You know, when James Harden was out, he was starting in place of him. Now Tyrese Maxey is out, he's starting in place of him. In addition to that, you know, he's one of the league leaders in deflections, and he's second in the league in steals. So he's bringing it on both ends. So when we talk about additions and new people, he's a guy who's fit right in and he's been playing well and he's been the biggest addition that the 76ers have had. Devon, um, we, we, we got to this a couple months ago, but 
I, I saw Joel Embiid had had some comments that that were a little a, li- a little strange the other day. He's like, "Oh, the city, the city of Philly wants me traded," and and, and of course, notorious jokester. Um, so was, wasn't sure how to perceive those. But what do you think his perception is of this team of this season? And if if Philadelphia loses in the first round of the playoffs, or or even the second round of the playoffs again, does that? drum up some chatter of him potentially wanting out of Philly or is this is this just a Knicks guy making an issue out of nothing well just just to be clear uh, you just think about the number of Sixer fans there are out there not everyone's going to be on the same page with Mm. players on the team including franchise players and Joel Embiid is not wrong with what he said now he was being a little a, a bit of a jokester which he is the Joel Troel Embiid and (laughs) what he said but like Keith knows with the emails and the, the, the uh, direct messages and the tweets that he gets on social, social media, the same for me. And I take the phone calls directly after games, especially when people are, are frustrated with Joel Embiid. There are a good handful of Sixer fans that, number one, don't believe that he, because of his health status in the past, is not the guy that, lead, that will lead them eventually to a championship. There are the other uh, parts of the Sixer fan base that believe that you just can't win with the center in the NBA and the game slows down or he's not engaged enough. So he's not lying. But for the majority of Sixer fans, no, they do not want him gone. There are a a small part of of Sixer fan base that, in fact, do uh, want Joel Embiid to be moved on from because they've seen enough already through the playoff experiences that they've had during his his era. Uh, But with that, I, I don't know. I, I think he likes the team right now. I'm sure there are some things that he may want a, a little bit better uh, along just like anybody else would where you feel like there are roster improvements as you have your season and you see how things start to play out. But uh, right now, no, I don't I don't think he's going to make any noise at this point. Maybe one more year or maybe a year and a half. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. It really is hard to say because he is connected to the city as a great relationship in general with the city and the fan base and he's out there working his tail off to to try to do his best and we all know in the end it comes down to the health that that he has and everyone else has in the end to see if they can get over they have to do some things in the playoffs on the floor wise execution and things of that nature to make sure that they advance past the second round and not have the same type of ending that we've seen for the past four or five playoff visits so I don't think that's anything to worry about as of right now. I don't think he's that next superstar that's going to ask out. And so we'll let we'll see how this this whole thing plays out. Yeah, Keith, uh, Daryl Morey, uh, never never really in the business of trading superstars. Usually, usually in the business of trying to trade for more of them, but potentially in the in the business of changing coaches. What what's the latest on Doc Rivers? I know when we had our bet online odds earlier this season, he was one of the favorites to be the first coach fired. Obviously, the ship has been righted a little bit, but if this team doesn't go on a big run during the season, is it a possibility for a change during the season, or would a change only come after a, a disappointing playoff run? I mean, honestly, I think it's all fluid for everyone involved. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, I, when you when you factor in, like, I, I think Doc Rivers catches a lot of the flat um, because people look at the record. But, you know, this season was supposed to be an upgrade in the roster, all, you know, and, and things like that. But also, I, I think the, the real way to judge the 76ers is going to be in the playoffs, right? So right now, you know, Doc Rivers can say, hey, look, you know, I don't have my full complement of players. 
I've only had six games. My team is 18 and, and 12, right? 30 games. I've only had six games with my entire starting lineup. So I feel like it's kind of hard for somebody to part ways with him now. But let's keep it 100. If the Sixers go out in the second round, then there's going to be some heads rolling. But I also believe that they're tied at the hip. Like, because as much as we want to talk about what Doc Rivers has done, you know, Daryl Morey is the one who brought in these guys and it's supposed to be one of those things where it was supposed to be a drastic upgrade. And if they go out in the second round, then that's not an upgrade. It's like you're doing the same thing you did when Brett Brown was here. So I honestly have to believe that it just can't be Doc Rivers who's on the hot seat. It's going to be bigger than them. It could be Daryl Morey as well. Yeah, Devon, what, what do you think um, the best case scenario is for Philly in the playoffs? Um, and and maybe maybe there's a glimmer of hope there where the Celtics look borderline unbeatable over the first 25 games of the season and have looked a little bit more human mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. five or six. Obviously, with the Bucs going through Giannis is, is, is a pain, but Embiid, maybe the one guy just from a physical perspective who can kind of match him point for point, shot for shot in a potential playoff series between those two teams. If, if, if Philly were to get out of the Eastern Conference, like what do you think has to happen? What, what does that ultimately look like? Well, of course, it, the cliche thing, as I said a little bit earlier for everyone, and that will be the health. But I think it rings true more for Philadelphia because of what we've seen hmm. them deal with health-wise and mainly with Joel Embiid, where he's picked up these things that have been a hindrance to them in the playoffs. And last season, it was the facial fracture and the, and the broken thumb. And that's... That that is part of the reason why I believe that you know he he wasn't himself. They didn't play. He didn't play in the first two games against Miami in the semis, and they eventually fell in, in six games overall. So, you know, it's um, I think for them they they have to that the chemistry overall has to be right when Tyrese Maxey comes back. We've seen some really good developments with this team that I think has been able to tell a little bit of a story for them going forward with these players out. That should be beneficial later on as the season continues to go along when they have their full complement of the roster. And in the end, it's about, as Keith talked about, we all enjoy the regular season of a basketball season, the 82 games, the whole, the whole process of it all through it and that whole trek. But it's about the playoffs with this group at this point. And I know it may be different for you guys in New York with the Knicks inconsistent in getting to the playoffs, but here, they have had championship level teams and they have not done it. And the matchup wise, sure. You look at matchups and you say, this one may work out best for the Sixers. If you're that good, oftentimes it's more about you than it is your opponent and what you do against that opponent. Once you get to that, that place. And that's why I think it's important for the Sixers to really find themselves, continue to find themselves. And once they do get there and take care of business against whomever is in front of them, and make that change because five years is five years in the playoffs. And those second round exits are very frustrating here in Philadelphia and for Sixer fans elsewhere that it does not matter if Celtics, the Bucks, the Nets, the Cavs, the Knicks, it doesn't matter. It's about you finally getting over that hump and getting past whomever has been placed in front of you. 
All right, let's let, let's come back in just a sec and talk some Knicks and see just how this matchup is going to go. But first, BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball in the World Cup. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your sports info, including the latest odds on DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine's next teams, if they're not the Chicago Bulls, the Knicks, the favorites to acquire Zach Levine. I'm not sure how happy I am about that, but we can talk about that in just a sec. If you guys want, head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. It's where the game starts. All right, Keith, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Know thy enemy. Uh, what, what do you want to learn about the New York Knicks? I mean, I want to know what happened. I mean, you know, at one point I'm looking at the Knicks and I'm saying to myself, oh, wow, like, you know, they went out there and they made this free agency pickup, but things look just okay. And then all of a sudden, they won eight in a row. And they've been beating, you know, some beating teams handily. What has been the major difference when, in the New York Knicks? It was shortening the rotation to nine players and, and putting Quentin Grimes into the starting lineup. Um, um, combined with, and, th- and this is something that, that Knicks fans will, will not want to hear and, and something I don't really want to hear. And I'm not sure if this was a key factor, but I think Obi Toppin's injury um, allowed the bench unit to fully lean into defense. And look, last night against the Toronto Raptors, it fired where they're, they're playing this too big look with Isaiah Hardenstein and Jericho Sims, and, and it works, but only against certain teams. But, but the starting lineup has really been the key. Um, on the entire season, they're the second best five-man unit in all of basketball over this eight-game winning streak, or over the eight-game winning streak, RIP. Uh, they led the NBA in net rating. And I, I just think the defensive intensity that Quentin Grimes as a starter and Deuce McBride off the bench have brought to the table has made the lives of R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle so much easier where R.J. went from having one of the most difficult um, defensive matchups in the league night in, night out. Now Quentin Grimes, since he's been the starter, he's had the most difficult matchups in the entire NBA night in, night out. So RJ clearly has more legs on offense, is putting in more effort as a secondary defender. And for Julius Randle, I mean, he he is just totally transformed in terms of his intensity, his focus, his interest in just giving a a you-know-what on defense. Um, And and a big part of that is Tom Thibodeau using him more as a a switch big instead of a drop big. And, And he is just far more engaged when you, when you put him in a mano-a-mano situation versus just saying, all right, just kind of sit back on that screen, uh, contest if you want, don't if you don't want to. Um, and that combined with the shooting that Grimes has provided and, and Randall and RJ both getting really hot from three and looking more explosive in the paint, um, they're just a completely different team on both ends of the floor. Who is, um, for me watching from afar, I guess my question would be, I, I, I don't really yet know still who RJ Barrett is in the NBA. <laughs> It's a completely fair question uh, because yeah. he was he was a disaster to start this year. I think there was there was a case to be made that he was probably the single most destructive starter in the NBA in, in that the Knicks were far worse when he was on the court. He was shooting something like 30 percent from the field, like at one point, 16 percent from three um, mm-hmm. couldn't hit a free throw for the most part. Uh, and, and the defense was somehow worse than the offense was. And we were we were sitting there sort of stunned and like the, the guy was just coming off the second half of the season where you could talk yourself. And I, I did talk myself into him potentially making a run at an all star birth this year. And he was he was terrible and he, he didn't he looked lethargic is really the only way to describe it. And over these last 15 games, I have I have the numbers uh, conveniently right in front of me. He's averaged 22 points, six rebounds, three assists, shooting 40 
seven or excuse me, 46 percent from the field, uh, 37 and a half percent from three, 76 percent from the foul line, which is uh, uh, one of the best 15 game stretches of his entire career. He looks way more explosive. Guys are bouncing off of him on drives. He's finishing a lot more smoothly. His touch looks better. His three point shot. All of a sudden, he's really confident in it again. And, and defensively, he's gone from a tire fire to someone who who is, is certainly not the best, but you can survive with uh, given what Grimes and, and and even Randall and Mitchell Robinson are doing on that end of the floor. Okay. A question for you. Do, do, do yeah. you think the Knicks, you know, we're, we're talking about the 76ers and we're asking, do they have to make another move? Hmm. When you when you look at the New York Knicks, you know, it was one of those things. And, and you know, Jalen Brunson, I, I like him. Great guy, Villanova dude. Um but do you think the Knicks have to make another move? And as far as getting like a top level, top, uh, all-star caliber player to bring to New York to make the fans happy? Yeah, so that was that was the tricky question with Donovan Mitchell, right? If, if you trade for that guy, do you actually have enough left to win with him? And and the answer is, I mean, you can make a case. It's looking more and more like, uh, maybe. Like, let's just say the trade had been R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, right? And a, and a couple of picks for him. You, you slot Donovan Mitchell into the starting lineup with Quentin Grimes. Um, it, it all of a sudden feels like maybe they would have had enough defense, especially with how well Mitchell's playing on that end of the floor this year. Him and Brunson would have been so dynamic offensively. But the fatal flaw of that team would have been it's just such a small backcourt. Like to me, it would have it would have been a better version of what you had in Portland for all those years with with Dame and CJ. And that can, that can get you far. Those guys got to a Western Conference Finals. And, and if Julius Randle, if, if we knew he was going to play like this, if the Knicks knew he was going to play like this, I think they might have been more amenable to that deal because you got to keep in mind, you're coming off a Randall season where he was actively a negative player to now he's playing like an all-star again. Um, so that completely would have, I, I think dramatically would have changed the calculus um, for New York. And, and that being said, I, I guess that deal in some ways is more on the table than ever, right? Especially if RJ continues to play well, he goes from someone who was untradeable on his contract a few weeks ago, or, or not untradeable, but, but it's certainly not someone you get a star back for to potentially the centerpiece of a star trade if the Knicks are going to make that down the road. Obviously, Zach Levine has been mentioned. Bradley Beal is someone I would be a little bit more inclined to go yeah. after, given Levine's health issues at this point. Um, but I, I think that move is inevitable, Keith. I would be surprised if it doesn't come by next summer, because for as good as this feels and, and as fun as this team is, I, I think even even with the caveat that Quentin Grimes was out, you saw some of the limits last night against the Raptors where I, I think in the playoffs having to go against either a Brooklyn or a Philly or, or a Milwaukee, like they're, they are just going to be outclassed in terms of star talent as, as well as they've been playing. Okay. Uh, what, what, yeah. What do you guys think about the matchup uh, on Sunday? And it, it, it does feel like a pivotal game for these two teams and that the Knicks haven't necessarily gotten that one signature win over this stretch. They've had pretty good fortune with, with guys being out. Um, in, in terms of stars for the for the best teams that they've played, and I, I think they're looking to to beat a, a Philly level team with a James Harden, with a Joel Embiid, and and kind of fully announce, hey, we're here. And and to your point, Keith, Philly over their recent stretch of good play hasn't really gotten that signature win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. This this is a tough one because you know the Knicks won the first game of the season. And the Sixers were undermanned, and and also I think the Knicks were probably coming off of a I'm a, a coming off a back to back. I'm not 100 percent sure, but it was it was one of those things. So this one is is very intriguing to me, 
And and when you look at the Sixers, when they go to the Garden, like a guy like Joel Embiid, he typically plays well in New York City, and especially in the Garden. And there's going to be some Sixers fans there. We know that. There always are Sixers fans. But I really don't have a pulse on this one yet. I don't. Because, again, I don't know how good the 76ers team is just yet. Like we said, we they haven't really had that signature win over this stretch. And I really don't know. But the scary part to me is, is when you have a game like this on national television, and if things don't go well early on on the Sixers, are they going to continue to move the ball? Or is a person like James Harden is going to want to resort back to the Houston Rockets, James Harden? You understand what I'm saying? So to me, that's the, the catchy part. But at the same time, this the Knicks are a young team. And they're going to be playing on prime time in front of everyone on a Christmas Day game. So are they able to step up their game knowing that they have expectations now? So I, I really don't have a pulse on this one, y'all. I'm sorry. I, I, I normally do, but yeah. I don't on this one. Yeah, Devon, what do you what do you think about the Yeah, same, same. I really don't have a good feel for this one as of yet. And I just I just feel like it's going to be a pretty good game. I do think that little revenge for the Sixers. So I'm sure as far as things go with them being so close right now, they may believe that they're better than the Knicks and they eventually don't need it. But the tie breaking situation is important right now. Sixers haven't beaten a lot of teams in the division. Uh, they've lost to the Knicks, the Nets, the Raptors, even though they have uh, now beaten the Raptors twice. Uh, they 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 and lost to the Celtics also. They need to make sure that they start to compile these wins again against their, their division opponents and make a bit of a statement to, to let them know that, hey, we are still here. And the last two times they've been on national television, these uh, ESPN broadcasts on the Fridays, they took care of business against the Golden State Warriors, although they had to come back. And then they also had to do the same uh, against the Los Angeles Lakers. They were blowing them out, let the Lakers back in and eventually needed overtime to take them down. So. I am curious to see how this one is. They missed Christmas Day last season. They're back on the Christmas Day game this time around. They're on the road against a hot Knicks team, fell uh, uh, on on Wednesday to the Toronto Raptors. But I, I look at it right now. If I had to lean, I would say the Sixers would win the game. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a really good feel as of right now of, of how this one would play out. But they, they need it. They need it because of the division of thing. And I think the Knicks need it, too, because of, to your point, that signature win. And now everyone will get a chance to see it. Sure, there are those night games on NBA TV, TNT, ESPN in the evenings. But this is this is the first thing. This is the one that's kicking off the primetime games of that Christmas Day slate, the five games that they have. And I'm sure the Knicks want to uh, announce themselves to the basketball world to say, hey, yeah, you've seen us in the standings. You've seen us the highlights on social media. You've seen our, our our clippings elsewhere. But now you really get a chance to see it. So the Sixers need to be ready to go against the Knicks. And I do think they will be. Yeah, I think to me the, the two keys to the game are, are Quentin Grimes' health after he missed that Raptors game with a sprained ankle. He's, he's kind of the lone perimeter guy. I mean, R.J. Barrett can try it, but I, I think James Harden will – will have his way with, with RJ. Like Grimes is the guy that can match up with James Harden and, and is strong enough to at least give him some issues. And, and then at the center spot, I mean, I, I just remember Joel Embiid, as he does to to young bigs everywhere, like Jalen Duran got, got the baptism by fire this week. Um, he, he tortured Mitchell Robinson early in his career. And Mitch, Mitch would come into those games confident and having a couple big ones, and, and Embiid would just drop 
like 36 in the first half on him. Uh, Mitch is, is, is physically stronger. Um, I think due to injuries, I, I don't remember those two matching up a, a whole lot recently. Obviously, uh, this year Embiid was out for that first game. So if Mitch can hold his own a little bit, can continue his, his run of great rebounding, I, I think that this Knicks team is feisty. They'll have a decent chance to pull the upset. Sure. But, man, if, if Embiid has his way, um, we, we've seen it time and time again this year where he can just carry Philly to victory. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Um, before I let you go, at least at least for the Knicks side, for the Knicks fans listening, can you can you guys tell everyone where they can find all your great work? So you could you could find I was about to say your stuff. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll do but, both. We'll do both. No, 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 no. Because we always do that. Like I always yeah. say that. Yeah. But you, you can find me. You can read my stuff on uh, Philadelphia Inquire, Inquire.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Pompey on Sixers. And you can find me on the radio side uh, hosting Monday through Friday, six to ten or oftentimes around the games on 97.5, the Fanatic FM radio in Philadelphia, uh, or catch me at Devon G975 on Twitter, and uh, also uh, pre and post for the Sixers games on our airwaves on the Fanatic, since we are the home of flagship, the flagship station of, of Sixers basketball. All right, and, and then for you guys, uh, you, can, you can check me out. At Locked on Knicks, my partner at the Alex Wolf on Twitter, and uh, go subscribe to Locked on Knicks. You know, leave, leave some hateful comments, some pro Philly propaganda. We welcome it all. It'll create some fun in the comment section. But Keith, Devon, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. On Locked Thanks, on Knicks. man.